Strange, isn't it? People spending their time making nice things and other people come along and break them. I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris Bybee. And today we talk about Enemy of the World here on Genreless. Hello and welcome to Genreless. We are making our way through the chronology of the classic Doctor Who series. And we have to start, which is becoming an unfortunately reoccurring segment uh, on this run, which is why Doctor Who is awkward. Um, today's installment is, let's just get out of the way. Uh, Patrick Proughton plays a character in Brownface in this serial. Uh, and there's just not a lot you can you can do to to get around that um there's all sorts of reasons why this came to be uh minor spoiler for the episode um it is partially because he is playing a mexican man who looks uncannily like the doctor um so it had patrick Broughton playing him uh uh why the scriptwriters thought a mexican man was the character they need to put in there especially considering the gate the whole thing that takes place in australia is a question for the ages. This is a this was a self-own problem <laughs> that the producers made for themselves. Uh, if anything, though, it does go back to originally Pat, one of Patrick Troughton's ideas was to play the Doctor in brownface. Yeah, yeah. This, how this how fe- different this conversation would be if they had done that? Well, honestly, I don't think the show would have lasted if, if he had done that. To be perfectly honest, um. But, uh, yeah, um, I mean, given our past conversations, we don't know how this came about. It's entirely possible Patrick Broughton's like, hey, no, I really want to do this. Um, Patrick Troughton was known for playing villains. I talked about that last episode. Um, and some of those villains he played were of various ethnic origins. Um, so it could be this is an idea Patrick Troughton mooted. Um, it could be that there's something the, the writer wanted to do. I, we don't know. We don't know who the, where the, the blame falls on this. Um, so we're going to kind of just roughly blame everybody, uh, you know, except maybe uh, uh, Fra- uh, Fra- Fraser Hines. I mean, he it's probably had nothing to do with this. But, Neither did Victoria, I would think. Right, right. So, so, so those two, maybe not. But everybody else, eh, or sucks to be or him. the the so the lone black character on the entire planet of Earth. I don't think she had anything to do with it either. No, no, and, and that's what's so frustrating about this is because it's it's a it's it's really good. Um, B, it's one of the more recently recovered serials, um, which shows that Patrick Troughton's run was actually way more interesting than just endless spaces and sieges. Um, three had a rare example of a black character who was not a complete stereotype. Um, so there's a lot that, that's actually pretty decent in this that I want to dig into. Uh, so this is a case of where it's like, say it up front, here's what's happening. If you can't get past that, skip to the next episode and we'll see if the problem with that one <laughs> seems like it's going to be inevitable. Um, that's more to your taste. Uh, but and, um, I don't want to keep going into it, you know. And if you haven't watched it yet and you're listening to us before you watch it, if you, you think it becomes less offensive during your watching, I can tell you that it does not become any less offensive throughout the entire six serial run of it. No, it's... Um, Am I here, Troughton, do the accent 
I am bothered. When I see him on screen like that, I am bothered. Right. Um, it's and again, there, there, there's there's interesting elements of it. Uh, so when we when I talk about that, I want that to be in the context of I'm not excusing the fact that this was a brown face portrayal. I'm not excusing the fact that there's no way this was necessary for what they were trying to do with the story. Um, but there's 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 a lot to like about what was attempted here that is disconnected from the fact that it shouldn't have been done in this specific way. All the stuff I'm going to talk about could have been done a different way and been just fine. It went this way and that sucks. And that, that I think that is a good piece to put that up front. I, I do want to point out that all of this happens in the way, way past of 2018. Right. So just think about that in 2018, this was what our world was like that we saw this episode. That is what Doctor Who is telling us from them projecting it 50 years in the past to 2018 where the story transpires. And now to be past that point, which is always a, a fun bit of watching shows from the 60s and the 50s to see right. what they it, thought it, things would occur like. Right, because to them, I mean, to be honest, that was this was uh, 1968-ish, uh, 67. So to them, that was 50 years in the future. That was like, there's no way this show is going to be around. No one's going to be talking about this show. 50 years from now. So, so that is a nice far projection that will never cause problems for Dr. Whoever. <laughs> and much, I, now I'm just Blade Runner Bill, did. Bill running around in this environment with the 12th doctor, you know, <laughs> <laughs> much how the, uh, the first Blade Runner projected their future a little too close to where it was. So it's, yeah. it's those kind of things. Yeah. So and, and if, I, I, writer, mean, I mean, you're putting it centuries into the future, <laughs> right? I, I personally love um, kind of false futures that never occurred, you know, um, uh, uh, and we're, we're it's funny part is like it even kind of happens today. Like uh, as day of recording, this um, is a day when Tony Stark supposedly died in the Marvel universe. Right. So because of the weirdness of the, the time skip, um, we're now running into events that have occurred occurred and what they thought five years in the future of the Marvel universe is going to look like. So, I mean, it, it, even today we still have these problems. Right. But I, I, I do enjoy, like I'm reading through uh, some Shadowrun novels now, which, you know, speaking of offensive portrayals of minorities, whew, but also um, they have fun things like uh, Atari cyber decks and going to your radio shack to buy equipment, which is just amazing. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> You know that you dated the podcast for any real geeks out there listening to us. They go, I know what day Tony Stark died. This is when they recorded this episode. Hey, if, if, if you know that day and you figure it out, fantastic. Um, <laughs> good on you. I, we try to date the podcast, but I mean, I feel like you earned that one if you figure that one out. Now, Andy, since you mentioned Shadowrun, I have to put you in a very awkward situation with this question. Okay. Shadowrun or Cyberpunk? Cyberpunk. Next question. Wow. Quick. No hesitation. <laughs> Love I have it. been fighting that fight for 30 years, so I, I, I know it's side of the world. Now, originally, my, my, my stance was I don't even look at Shadowrun. Cyberpunk is the only game that matters. Um, now, in a world where there's like 55 million Cyberpunk tabletop role-playing games, um, I recognize and I like certain bits of what Shadowrun is trying to do. Um, uh, and also, if I want to read a novel of glorious early 90s cyberpunk i'm pretty much got to read shadow novel because cyberpunk didn't put out very many novels in that front uh so certain aspects of it i i, I enjoy but 
no, when it comes down to like which game I'm going to play, sorry, punk, all day long. Not even a question. So curiously, are you reading Never Trust a Dragon? Uh, I finished the the first three yet, and I actually remember two XS, which is okay. the hard boiled uh, detective noir novel. Is it is it sad that I remember cyberpunk titles from when I read them when they first came out? I think I have a couple yeah. floating around the house somewhere too. <laughs> yeah, never never just was pretty good, although it was the the epitome of here's a character build that you cannot possibly make in the role playing game. It's a dog shaman, but he has a cyber deck, and he also knows hermetic magic. And it's just like, oh my god, this is fan fiction twenty years early. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you saying that he was a a Mary a Mary Stan? A Mary, uh, a Mary, yeah, this is Mary. I don't remember. There's, there's a male version of Mary Sue. I forget the name, but I couldn't remember, so I made my own. Because I'm a writer, it's what we do. Um, yeah. all right, let's let's talk about Brownface. Right. Oh, I'm no. sorry. I meant Doctor Who. <laughs> um, so uh, th- this episode, the the idea of it seems a bit strange. So I want to give some context for kind of what's happening here culturally. Um, uh. The prisoner came out, started airing three months before this. What's and the prisoner? We, don't 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 even start with that. We we we've covered the prisoner for several episodes. If you want to know, go back and listen to that. Don't even don't even start that with me. Uh, but um, this becomes particularly relevant around episode five of, of this serial. Uh, but also um, one of the things that was happening at the time was um uh itv was trying to counter program against doctor who doctor who was so successful they're trying to find shows that could put up against doctor who to get audience shares away from it uh we talked way back at the start about how um the bbc was just moving into popular television i i i gave i gave eddie the hand wave on camera so i didn't have to interrupt it but so i could do this bit are you saying that doctor who was a cheers of its time Uh, or Cheers was Doctor Who's of its time, I suppose. <laughs> all right, sorry. Go I mean, ahead. You're, you're being, could you you're being relevant. Time Lord bar? That's weird. Um, Did Time Lord drink? Right. I mean, yes. We, the third Doctor drinks wine. At least once. True. I've forgotten about that. Um, but anyway, so so the, the, the show that ITV chose to put up against Doctor Who is Adam West's Batman. Which... Sounds really strange, uh, but it was a action, quote action show um, geared towards kids in the same way that Doctor Who was a quote action show geared towards kids. Uh, and this, I and Batman apparently uh, resonated really well in the UK as well as in the US at the time. Um, and also, it was in color, which was actually a huge selling point uh, as opposed to Doctor Who, which is still being shot in black and white. Uh, and in fact, as we move on with our exploration, we'll see Doctor Who starts to make the transition to color, and you'll see some of the influence of things like Batman on Doctor Who directly. But we're not quite there yet. My 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 interjection is: you're still trying really hard to stay on point, and I'm going to keep deviating. I know, I know. This is this is, this is our our dynamic. Uh, my my Bond bit for this episode. I think it may be out after this one. I'm, I'm even though we're about, we will eventually hit. Pertwee, which I should have nothing but Bond comments for. I think this is my last Bond comment, is that in his book, I want to say Adam West admitted that he was offered the role of James Bond. And he turned it. Really? 
I have not had time to verify it. I remember reading it somewhere, but he didn't want to get typecast because this is after Batman. And it was because of the fame of Batman that he didn't want to like take on an established character like that. I cannot conceive of a world of Adam West playing James Bond. I kind of want to see that, but I don't think it would last for 10 minutes, let alone a whole movie. Because I, I, I want to say he also got Batman from some, I want to say commercials where he was being uberly suave on the commercials, if memory serves. This is from like oh, 20 maybe. years ago that I picked up that tidbit. Maybe. So it can still be all linked to that. But that, that is my random tidbit and linkage back to Bond throughout the history of Doctor Who for you. Yeah, no, that, that, I didn't know that's awesome. Uh, and we're not, we're, we've had a Secret Agent. Um, uh, playing against it, that played before the prisoner, um, and uh, shows like uh, the Man from Uncle and the Avengers were happening. They hadn't quite hit their peak popularity yet. We're, we're in, in the process of the spy-fi popularity increasing, uh, but it's gonna be another year or so before it actually peaks. Uh, so, Doctor Who doing a Bond-ish style storyline is not as weird as it seems from the onset. I mean, again, looking back, it's not something we see Doctor Who traditionally do, but in 1967, it was almost inevitable that there's going to be a Doctor Who version of James Bond at some point. It's just more interesting that it's Patrick Troughton. <laughs> right. The least Bondish character, which which is interesting. Um, uh, now I'm moving to the episode proper, to show proper, but um, Jamie kind of takes on half of the Bond role. Uh, which shouldn't work, and yet Fraser Hines makes it work in a very weird way. Um, it's like I would see Fraser Hines as Bond actually more than than Adam West. Uh, I was like, I don't, I shouldn't be as into Jamie Secret Agent, but it actually does kind of work. Um, so it, it's 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 it's, it's an odd choice. Um, and for all of the frustrations around why it came, the how it came to be. Uh, seeing Patrick Troughton play two different characters is is genuinely good, right? Like, um, as, as frustrating as the portrayal is, you see, you see his range as an actor, and, and uh, even near the end, a very very brief scene where the where the two characters confront each other, um, it's great twists and turns of, of okay, who's playing who now and what's going on here and who are the different characters are. Um, and a lot of it is Patrick Troughton, but like it, it's easy to forget that he's not always, you know, that, that that's a different character than the, the second doctor. Um, so it's, it, it shows a, a range of his acting ability, which is just genuinely exciting to see leavened with the very frustrating way it is portrayed. I would go back to say that, Troughton and Jamie play a third of the doctor, but that final piece of doctor is played by Astrid, who is the, the goat of this episode, in my opinion. Yes. 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 <laughs> Astrid is fantastic. She should have become a companion. Yeah, actually I completely agree. Um, so let's, let's go, let's, let's go into it. Um, I have it broken down into six rough parts. I didn't quite do it by episode. We talked about that, but, um, I did not. The way the, the episodes are paced a little strangely um, in terms of summarizing them. So I'm kind of just picked six rough chunks. Uh, but I will say before I start the first one. 
we don't want to spend five minutes just talking about Patrick Trout and stripping off and running around the beach like he was a three-year-old child. We don't want to focus in on that part for our Doctor Who discussion. Is that what you're saying is not important? Well, let's talk about that. We'll get to that. I actually have thoughts about that. <laughs> um, so let, let, let's start with summary. Uh, the second Doctor, Jamie, and Victoria are enjoying themselves on a beach in Australia in the far-off future of 2018 when the Doctor is subject to an assassination attempt. The boss of the would-be assassins, an agent named Astrid Ferrier, rescues them by helicopter and takes them to her boss, Giles Kent. There, the doctor learns he is a physical double of Salamander, a ruthless megalomaniac. Kent's home is surrounded by troops led by security chief Donald Bruce. The doctor is persuaded to impersonate Salamander to save his companions and to gather more information. The doctor's companions infiltrate Salamander's palace in Europe to gather information against him. So, a lot of stuff there. Um, what's interesting, first of all, um, the editing, each time we, we jump ahead, the editing seems to get getting a little tighter each time. Like, and this is in the same season as Tomb of the Cybermen, but even there, this is a little more faster paced than Tomb of the Cybermen even was. Uh, so, it, I mean, on that front, it's actually, we're getting more watchable as we go along because even in the short thing, I, I'm looking back to Docs, like, oh my God, the Docs dragged so long. And now it's like, it's frustrating. It's like, no, it's not 60 television. It's, that particular moment in 60 television because this is actually quite fast paced yes there's five minutes of the doctor stripping off to go swimming <laughs> which is amazing but also it gives room for jamie and victoria to just talk shit about the doctor <laughs> which is so much fun <laughs> yeah i i i guess so i gotta say that <laughs> was He's over, over what, 400, 500 years old. And that's, that's what he's doing. Personality or not, that was a little, little off-putting as a viewer to see the doctor, especially if you're coming from, if you are a new Who fan to come and try to watch the old school Who, I can't imagine how shocking that would be. Because you can go to Hartnell where you have a stern sort of like villainous character which some of which the newer doctors have reflected like the Capaldi run is somewhat villainous so it feels a little bit more like a Hartnell so you might have been able to take that or right. the like twice upon a Christmas or whatever with uh, a Hartnell-esque doctor and Capaldi so you get used to that but then to leave that to come to the Cosmic Hobo who this Thomas Cyberman he's, he's doctorish to hit this you lose all trappings of who Doctor Who is as you know them right there. Right, because this is – and I mentioned this in passing last episode, but you see a better example of it here is that the Doctor is – this Doctor is very chaotic. He is very anarchic, and this is a very good example is he's like, we landed somewhere. I don't know where we are, but there's a beach there. Suddenly I want to go swimming, and this, and I'm going to start doing it, and I'm going to – chastise you for not also stripping naked and jumping in the water with me because I have decided right now this is what we're fucking doing and that's the second doctor right he just does shit now you could also though if you want to take a slightly different route is that he is attempting to establish a throuple right now with his companions <laughs> I you know what of all of the slashable <laughs> doctor companion pairings second doctor and jamie is extremely slashable i'm not gonna lie they they have a very strong chemistry <laughs> and victoria just because you know she's there right 
Um, yeah, yeah, at this point also, I mean, Victoria's slide into being completely ineffectual has more or less happened by this point, um, which is frustrating. Uh, uh, I, I will she, have she, something on that later. Okay, yeah, but but we're certainly here. She's kind of the but doctor stage, um, which is interesting because it does give Jamie the maybe unintentional role of being kind of a secondary doctor where he's actually explaining stuff to Victoria. Uh, so it, while it's frustrating for Victoria, it does give Jamie some interesting uh, expansion of his role into the experienced uh, traveler now. Uh, so we are in uh, the far future Australia, um, which, which the Australian accents are just as good as the American accents from Tomb and Cyberman. Uh, and um, the, so, so uh, people try to assassinate the doctor because he looks like this guy named Salamander and uh, they take him Astrid rescues him from the people that are assassinating him even though they're working together which is a little confusing at first this bit was something that I really enjoyed in contrast to the, the doctor running on the beach because it adds in a certain amount of mystery right off the bat for, like for instance oh, yeah. I have never I had never seen Enemy of the World before. I knew that it okay. had brown face in it, and I did not watch it because it had brown face. It's like, mm. right. But I take that, that I take that hit for you, our loyal listener, <laughs> and to see them have that sort of like conversation about something, and you know they're disregarding orders that they're potentially getting from Astrid. To see that whatever it is is someone they must obviously hate. I, I knew the premise just from like the cover art. It's hard not to know the premise of the story, right? And that was like a nice little touch in the fact that they come back again to try to shows you how much they hate this person that you've yet to see. Right. Yeah. Um, and in terms of it being a espionage thriller, it, it's paced exactly right. It, it's the, there's confusion right off the bat. Um, people who are ostensibly on the same sides are working at cross purposes. Um, and so you're, yeah, you're drawn into the plot. And when, uh, Giles Ken starts talking about Salamander. Again, it's frustrating the, how I got here, but the idea of a person who presents themselves as a bit a, a rich philanthropist who is using their uh, power and authority to try to manipulate people into doing what they want plays really well in 2023, right? <laughs> Why are we talking about Tony Stark again? Yeah. <laughs> Elon Stark. <laughs> Greatest film in the MCU. Um, <laughs> but the Astrid rescue, I love. I want to take a minute to talk about Astrid because mm. Astrid, I want you to also think about when this was airing. I think the Avengers may have been out. I'm not positive about that. Yeah, I, I, first, I don't think it got into the Emma Peel years yet, though. But even the, um, uh, I forgot her name, Blackman, who played in the um, James Bond movie was the predecessor to Emma Peel. And mm -hmm. even she was pretty kick-ass. And so that was probably potentially the model they took for Astrid. And Astrid is awesome throughout this entire series of shows. I'm not going to lie. The fight scenes were very, very 60s oh, TV. Yeah. But the intent behind it and everything she was doing was exceptional. Like that is blowing the doors off, I think, of any female character we'd have seen on Doctor Who up to this point in time. Yeah, and... Um, which makes Victoria's role even more frustrating because it's the, oh no, it's not that they can't write 
interesting women in the show, they just choose not to, um, or at least for the companions. And so that actually makes it more frustrating because you're absolutely right. Like Astrid is – you could see almost a, a, a prototype of the more action-oriented companions that will come in a decade or so after this. You could see kind of shades of, of Leela in this, shades of Ace in this. Uh, uh, and so it's it's an interesting kind of moment. You're right. You, it's in from a modern perspective, you can see Mercy Astrid as a potential companion. And she is unafraid to confront uh, her boss Giles. Uh, she's not put into the typical 60s women's roles of making coffee or or whatnot. Uh, she's treated as exactly as much of an equal uh, as Giles is. Uh, and in fact, a couple of times takes control of the narrative in a way that you don't see women doing in British television in general at this time, but let alone Doctor Who. And a light spoiler for the end of the serial. I was waiting for them to make her fall in love with someone how I expected them to do. And yeah. I was stunned that does not happen at all. Yeah. Astra's just a badass being a badass. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, that was my only light spoiler. I'm not going to say how it ends until we get there, but right. I wanted to uh, give Astrid her props. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, and um, we also, I mean, we the, the cast actually exp uh, expands pretty fast in this first episode, right? Uh, because we have uh, Doctor, we have the two companions, we have Astrid, we have Giles Kent, we have the lead of Giles Kent's security. Uh, we have Salamander, who's another character, even though it's played by the same actor. Uh, and then we have Donald Bruce coming in. Uh, and even he's positioned as he's it's implied by Giles Kent that he is Salamander's lackey, but right away we're also told, oh no, he's the security chief for the World Council. He doesn't work directly for Salamander. And Salamander has convinced him to be that. So he's a de facto lackey, but he's not direct lackey. And that actually ends up being a key distinction that the serial plays with throughout the run. Um, so we have a lot of characters who are – there's no clear good guy. guy. The show's obviously trying to point in a certain direction to give a sympathy for Giles Kent and his organization. But no one is completely black or white uh, – pun um, – black and white TV. Uh, no one's very clearly on one side or another, which is something that, again, is atypical for this era of Doctor Who. There's a lot of morally gray characters that we're coming across, and the Doctor, interestingly – starts off this serial saying, why are we getting involved with this? It's the companions that push him to get involved. The doctor's like, I just want to go back to swimming. That was great. I don't want to really deal with this <laughs> stuff. And several times the doctor has to be convinced that there's validity in following this through. And interestingly, the serial ultimately points out that he was right to be reluctant, but we don't find out why for weeks of viewing time, right? Um, and so it's interesting pacing that we just don't see very often. From my perspective that I took from it, it is not that he was reluctant to be a part of it. He was reluctant to follow along with Kent's plan. That is like the reluctancy throughout the entire thing. And we don't know why he's pushing back so much against that until the very end. And right. That is intrinsic almost of the specific doctor who is a great read for people and using that against him and just playing for time is almost what it really comes down to throughout it. And for Donald Bruce, it's it's less of Bruce being a lackey, but someone that's doing their job that has respect for 
Seller Manor and the work they're doing. But you can even tell, even in this interaction, he doesn't necessarily like Salamander and could go either way. Right, right. Um, and there is a... I, this is going to be a little frustrating, um, but if you take a closer look at uh, Patrick... Doctor, the Doctor playing Salamander, right? At that moment when Donald Bruce comes in. Um, there is an interesting nuance there, and I only noticed it because it's the second time I've watched these episodes, um, which is that Doctor playing Salamander sounds well, remember, really, Patrick Troughton playing the Doctor playing Salamander sounds different than Patrick Troughton playing Salamander. Uh, a lot of the vocal tics that the Doctor has are missing when it's just Salamander, but are introduced when the Doctor is trying to ape Salamander's accent. Uh, so the kind of ums and stumbles and uh, uh, muttering, he does that when the doctor's playing Salamander, but none of that appears when it's just Salamander. And so again, there's a level of performance happening here. There's actually three different accents that are happening with Patrick Troughton here. Uh, so that shows to the depth to which Troughton has a, is a, a fantastic and nuanced actor, and I don't think he often gets enough credit for. But more to your point also, um, we see the seeds of, I mean, I, I mentioned the doctor is anarchic and I, I stand by that. Uh, but also we see the seeds of the seventh doctor planner happening here, um, where the doctor sees something immediately, but doesn't tell anybody what he sees and starts playing dumb to find out what's really going on. Um, and we, as the audience, because we just start off with him stripping off and going swimming, we don't realize this is a plan until way too late into the serial. And it's like, oh, wait, the doctor's doing a thing. But we, even as the audience, don't necessarily uh, recognize that until it's much later on. The companions certainly, they're just going, what, what is going on here? Um, we need to help this guy because he's clearly bad. But the doctor points out, I don't know he's bad. I don't know if this guy's good. And so when the reveal happens that no Salamander is genuinely bad, we go, oh, therefore Kent must be good. That is about Doctor's statement. Is like <laughs> one piece of it's invalid, but Kent is still never he's it's never clarified that he's the correct choice. So we have the Doctor recognizing that there's not a good and evil divide, but the show has not recognized that thus far. So the audience contemporary of this would have been tricked into going, oh well, this is these are good guys. These are bad guys. That's how this is going to play out. That's not really what's happening here. And that is even at, at this point in time revolutionary for the show, because the show in the past has not done that. You usually mm -hmm. get very much distinctive villains, be they primarily monster or alien villains, but villain villains and sometimes humans. And this time, another thing for the serial, there are no monsters in the serial other than the people. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone is just a human, and most of them are bastards, except for the one that we're going to see here shortly. Do you have anything more about the first part? Um, did I mention how awesome Astrid is? You did, but we okay, mentioned it I'm again. Good. Okay, part two. Uh, Jamie and Victoria use their new roles in the palace to get close to Faria, Salamander's food taster, hoping to gather more information. Faria reveals she was blackmailed into her role. Jamie causes a diversion to try to facilitate an unsuccessful rescue attempt on Denish by Astrid. Denish is shot dead. Through, though Astrid escapes, Jamie and Victoria are arrested. Uh, and so this chunk is the uh, uh, Jamie as James Bond bit. Down to him wearing the, the black turtleneck, which is just 
Perfect. Love it. But do you know which James Bond Jamie is right now? I mean, I assume he's Sean Connery. Lazenby. Really? Oh, okay. No, I see that. Yeah, I see that. Because Lazenby was the one... Wow, showing my depth of Bond knowledge just earlier in the morning. Uh, <laughs> Laz means the one that would go more undercover and be undercover in a role. Sean right, Connery would go to... in, uh, <laughs> I'm a doctor. What? Papa, you're dead. Ha <laughs> ha, motherfucker. Right, Laz yeah, no, has yeah. entire arcs of the story where he's impersonating another character. No, yeah, it, certainly there, there's a lot of Bonds who are just like, your cover story is blah, blah, blah. And he's like, that's cool. My name is James Bond. And I'm going to kick down the door and start <laughs> shooting people. James Bond's a terrible spy. We, we, I don't have mentioned this before, but he's actually genuinely not a good spy. Uh, but we've Lazenby, right, Lazenby is a good one. We've established any show protagonist whose role is a spy is always bad because otherwise it would be boring after one episode. Right, right, right. Look, you've successfully um, infiltrated that base and planted a virus in their computer. Great. Next week, you've successfully infiltrated that base and <laughs> stolen something from it. <sighs> Next week. So, right. Yeah. It's like, now you can spend five years living this cover, and so we had to activate you. Um, I but that's watched not a couple of episodes of The Americans. Um, you're saying. Right, what I'm saying is, that, but, you're, but you're right in the sense that, weirdly, Doctor Who is getting that right. Partially because the BBC recognizes that action sequences are not a strength, but talking, they're good at. Uh, so having Jamie and Victoria just talk their way into the stuff is actually really good television. Well, maybe not Victoria, but Jamie is really good to watch. Uh, we'll make you a cook. Do you know how to cook? No, that's fine. You can just do that anyway. <laughs> as oh, as God. I like to give these commentaries. So as everyone knows, I watch my episodes very last minute. For instance, I was watching this a day ago. Uh, I was on my lunch break and I was sitting in there and I was watching it. And Jill walks to the kitchen. It's like, what are you watching? It's like, I'm watching a uh, 60s Doctor Who. And she's like, okay. And she's like, is that a, is that a black woman on Doctor Who in the 60s? It's like, yes, it is. <laughs> and then I explained to her that that's a food tester who has to work in the kitchen. And the doctor's yeah. companion, who's a woman, has to, and she said, let me guess, work in the kitchen. Work in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. And then in somewhat disgust, she just walked out, walked out of the room. Right. So, I mean, for every Astrid, there's this. But... I will say, um, even then, Faria immediately is shown to have more complexity. She's blackmailed into this role as a food tester. Um, she snarkily convinces somebody else to basically be a food tester for her. Um, so she doesn't have to take the potential poison. Uh, she, she's immediately shown to have a lot more depth than just generic food tester. And, and she gets kind of an arc for a few episodes, which we'll cover mm. in a minute. Um, so it's like, oh, wow, it, it's, it's a black character with depth in Doctor Who. That's fantastic, you know? It, it, it was interesting to watch. Mm -hmm. I will say, though, the the cook in this show is pretty spicy and pretty funny. So I give <laughs> kudos to that and a total lack of care and constant commentary about how bad the food is. Yes, yes. It, 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 was, it, it gave some spark. Honestly... <laughs> I, I, I keep I feel bad if you keep beating up on poor Watley, but um, all Victoria's scenes were great except for Victoria. <laughs> like all of the characters around Victoria were fantastic. <laughs> they didn't know what to do with the character is I think what yeah. it really boils down to because we've seen they can write women. They've written they're writing they write they at that time they wrote at least two good women characters in the show yep. in this serial right now. 
with some yep. complexity in doing things. And then they have Victoria. Right. Right. And it's 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 and sadly she just gets all the, the obvious jokes. Oh well I don't know how to cook because I'm high class and and it's 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 just she, she she's there to to um one of uh the uh critics I read um uh, uh she likened this to uh, the term peril monkey basically victoria's job is to get into bad situations so she can be rescued and she's good at that um but that's just a very frustrating place um i was distracted throughout this bit also by danish um because the actor who plays danish also plays a time lord uh in tom baker's era uh he plays the head of the um the, the chancellery guard on Gallifrey. And so it's kept being distracted. It's like, it's the same guy, which nobody would have made that connection. Again, there's 10 years between these serials. They've reused actors a lot. No one made that connection. It's just me being that kind of deep Doctor Who nerd going, oh, that's the, the guy from Don Baker's era, from uh, uh, the Deadly Assassin. It's like, ah. Do, do you want another? You, you have some familiarity with the show, I'll take. And you know, occasionally they reuse actors. Do you yes. want to, you want a deeper pull than that one though? What's that one? That's What's that? insanely related to what we're doing. For uh, a first Doctor story, I forgot her name in the show, but she was a guard that almost joined the TARDIS crew, but she gets killed like and shot out sort of in the space. Okay. That actress later plays Morgane <laughs> against oh. the seventh Doctor. Oh, so nice. Get, okay. So that is her gap in Doctor Who. I think she may have one other role in there, but those are the ones I distinctly remember. I also know that um, uh, the woman who played uh, Barbara ends up in a late Doctor or a Tom Baker serial as an alien. Um, in uh, oh, it's the beginning of uh, blank on the serial, but yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting how they'll bring even relatively established characters. I mean, you know, we talked about um, the Brigadier briefly, um, which we'll talk about more, I'm sure, in the future. Um, but you know, uh, uh, Nicholas Courtney played a. Uh, uh, prominent character in the sixth the first doctor's run and it comes back as uh brigadier lethbridge stewart um later so yeah and it certainly happens but it's interesting to still even see it. In, in case anyone's curious we have not forgotten that colin play, colin baker played a security guard for the fifth doctor shoots him with a staser and then becomes the sixth doctor yeah <laughs> and there's a tradition or that they continues meet, because because um, or they the, meet the peter capaldi and then so yeah yeah peter capaldi playing a, a roman uh before he becomes the 12th doctor uh and that you made or, a plot point and if we want to take away from the doctor, we could go how uh, Romana one met the princess and then Romana two yeah. took on the appearance of the princess. Right. So we could go on for a little bit, but so they, they yeah. reuse actors and actresses a lot in doctor who, which is, right. uh, awesome. they, I think this is the first instance. Uh, uh, well, I mean, it hasn't been reused yet, but first instance of me going, Oh, Hey, that's a person I didn't re immediately realize had been recycled for a later role. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, this is just, frankly, fun 60s spy stuff happening here. Uh, uh, everyone's kind of playing off each other. Um, and they set up a whole fake uh, assassination attempt on Salamander, which then Jamie thwarts. Uh, and Salamander buys it, um, which is a neat look into Jamie's ability to... Because like, Jamie's improvising right? on, some, on some level. He's like... He almost gets caught. He trips up and he spins it. And Jamie just handles it like a champ. I mean, he's that's really smart. We, we've talked about this before. Jamie's genuinely smart character. He, I think, I think in my head canon, he plays dumb to the doctor because he really likes the doctor to feel smart. During all this time, I wanted 
take a moment to highlight Donald Bruce, as you see, is good at his job because he knows something yeah. was up when he met Salamander out at Kent's like that didn't stick right. Then you have the character coming back to try to track down Salamander to talk to him to find out what's going on and we'll encounter Jamie again and try to get answers from Jamie. So you see there's an investigative trend going on. So that was a nice backdrop to see all that transpiring and still it comes off as an antagonist to their plans. Right. Because at the moment, uh, Bruce is suspicious of all of the characters that we like as protagonists. And so therefore we assume he's a villain. Um, but it's, it's a good point. Uh, so many of these kinds of stories, uh, uh, the security people are just idiots. And that's the only way the plot can progress. Um, in here, the plot's progressing because the security people, or at least one security person, is genuinely smart. Uh, and the, that means the doctor and Jamie are constantly on the back foot trying to, and to degree Giles Kent, are on the back foot trying to work around Bruce and Salamander's intellect. So, yes, Salamander buys the cover story here, but it's a genuinely plausible cover story. This guy's been attempt test stations before, and even then, he doesn't get immediately full service. Um, uh, Bruce is suspicious and starts to break down the stories. Um, and a little later, Salamander does turn on it, so it doesn't last for long. Um, but it all feels very plausible. No one's really acting like they shouldn't be on top of their game. Again, even the food taster, she's like, yeah, I'm I, I, hey, thank you for doing my job for me. Uh, I need a chance to taste that yet. Um, <laughs> and just like, oh, so good. And during this time, the doctor is having almost all of his scenes with Kent in some manner. Mm -hmm. Like they're traveling from spot to spot. He's hiding in cupboards, asking if there's, yes. I hope there's oxygen in there. And constantly questioning Kent, who is not giving re not giving in-depth answers. Kent is talking mm -hmm. about a grand plan and how something is super evil and how they need to stop it. But he doesn't give any reasons why. He keeps providing evidence that you see the doctor doesn't accept. Yep. Yeah, and it's a classic case of lying with facts because everything Ken says is true, but he omits key information so that it's – it's again, Kent is good at what he does too. Um, so it, it's, a, it's, it's a rare case where everyone around the doctor is actually competent, and the doctor is trying to navigate through all of these different eddies. And some of it is because – his again, he's – weirdly reluctance to get engaged which is something we're not used to seeing from a modern doctor who perspective uh but again shades of mccoy we see why later it's not just our try um we talked about hartnell where it's just like yeah i want to break the tardis and i don't want to i want to look at this thing because I'm, I'm i want to do it and i want to go because i want to do it this is more okay no i want to see what's actually going on here because i'm i'm concerned about this um, but I don't want to tell anybody what I'm doing. And it comes off as like, just because he's not sure of his facts. Is it, manipulation doesn't come across, but I, I think it's largely because Troughton's just such a likable character. We want to believe him. Um, I was reading an interview recently, uh, digression, uh, uh, BBC Radio 4 is doing a short series called Doctor Who at 60, and they did a, a two-hour concert. Um, and they brought in various different showrunners uh, in, to interview between them and you know get some more information about the upcoming series and blah, blah, blah. Um, but one thing that uh, Chris Chibnall said um, is that um, uh, any, you could give uh, uh, the 12th Doctor any jokes you wanted to, 
and it would come across as grumpy because he does. But Matt Smith could commit war crimes, and you would go, oh, but he's so nice. And that's kind of what we're seeing here is that the second doctor could – God doesn't really do anything horrible, but you sense he probably could and could probably talk his way out of it because it's like, oh, but he's such a harmless guy. <laughs> I, I'm glad that is some people's opinion of Matt Smith. <laughs> well, it's interesting that, that that's the showrunner thought. I, I think that's it for me on, on this bit. I could talk okay. some more about Astrid if you want, but. Well, we have more Astrid <laughs> stuff coming out. Don't worry. <laughs> Part three. Uh, Salamander discovers he's being impersonated and returns to his research station to confront the imposter. Uh, Farah tells the doctor that Jamie and Victoria are prisoners in the research center. Before they can act, the building is raided by Salamander's deputy, Benick, and his troops. Uh, Farah is killed in the other escapes. Uh, because we're summarizing, we're kind of glossing over Farah's arc here. Uh, because she was blackmailed into her role, Jamie and Victoria basically flip uh, Farah uh, into a double agent to work for them. Uh, and uh, Farah is the person that helps us start to realize that not everything is Lucene's because she is still against Kent, but also against Salamander. Um, so this is where we start to see there's something coming up. And it's kind of applied maybe there's a third faction, but that doesn't pan out. Um, and we also throughout, see that... Oh, go ahead. Throughout the show, though, we also have Farah constantly helping them. For instance, even when Jamie gets a job there, she creates a job for Victoria to come and do. Yeah, and covers Victoria when she stumbles. And then warns Victoria that she needs to leave as soon mm -hmm. as possible and not get involved. So you constantly have someone looking out for someone they literally just met that needed help. And I do want to point out, this is not this might be a little bit of a spoiler, but out of all of our good characters, and Farai would be one, only one good character dies. And it's Farai. Yeah, that is that is certainly. I mean, for all the stuff we're going, hey, this is great. It's still sixties British television, right? So we can't we can't escape the gravity of it right now. We're not there yet. The only black person on the planet just died. <laughs> the only black person in Australia. <laughs> it's also not true, but <laughs> um, uh, something that I don't want to dig in too much, but I because we're seeing more of Salamanders real personality here, right? Uh, we're moving away from the, the uh, benevolent portrayal into how he's really portrayed. Wait, and wait. A... Did, did you just say their inevitable betrayal? Benevolent portrayal. Okay. <laughs> but also inevitable betrayal. Had a flashback to dinosaurs on a spaceship for a second. Sorry. Go right, ahead. right. We don't talk about that show, remember? Um, but... Uh, one of the things that is frustrating but also weirdly accurate that happens here um, is – let's be blunt. No one at the BBC probably has spoken to a Mexican person ever, right? Uh, uh, Mexico is some kind of exotic place that they thought would be cool and interesting to, to, to reference. So it's pretty clear Patrick Troughton is shooting for Spanish when he's doing this as opposed to Mexican. Um, but – What's interesting is that we end up with a character who's not a Mexican stereotype, which is interesting. Um, he's a Spanish stereotype, <laughs> which is not interesting, but accidentally lands into some an interesting nuance of kind of Mexican culture. And again, I'm not 
uh, deeply invested in this. That's something I'm only started researching on. But there is a, a cultural divide, and it does fall along uh, 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 people in Mexico who generally are descended from the Spanish families, and people in Mexico who generally descended from Aztec families. Um, and so it's pitching Salamander as kind of more towards uh, uh, the kind of the, the Spanish aristocrat class of, of Mexican man. Uh, and so having him in this role is actually something that we don't see Mexican characters often put into outside of Mexican cinema. Um, so it's completely accidental and the worst possible way to land there, but it still lands to as Americans watching this, oh, we expect Mexican character to go X, and it kind of goes tangential to X. He's going in a slightly different set of stereotypical tropes. But, I mean, if this was done differently, a Mexican man who's in charge of a large corporation uh, who is trying to do benevolent good throughout the world and is respected throughout the world would actually be an interesting character, done authentically and accurately. That would actually be a really cool concept. This show is not doing that, but it actually falls into an interesting trope, right? So I want to at least acknowledge that. If they were to do it differently and Patrick Trout and, and Salamander wasn't Mexican, what do you think would be a good replacement for that? Honestly, the other thing that could have been interesting is if he had just been Australian, right? Like if he had just been an Australian autocrat. Um, they're set in Australia. Uh, he can still do an accent. Um, we still have the accent play. It gets rid of the brown face problem. Um, and it still shows someone who is culturally not usually seen in this position of power doing something with that power. So uh, I, I, I think – I frankly think the pieces were all there, and they just picked it because, to be blunt, they probably said, oh, that's an exotic country. Let's use that instead, and everything fell from that. Um, uh, but um, – we do see that uh, Salamander, again, is not dumb. He is very much the Bond-style masterminds in this. Um, so he recognizes pretty quickly that someone's impersonating him and that these people have infiltrated his facility. Uh, and he takes reasonably logical steps to try to confront that. The problem is that he puts a lot of faith into Bennick, and Bennick is bonkers. Bennick is just not a well person and should not be in charge of security, which again is interesting compared to Bruce. Because we thought, oh, Bruce is the person that does all of Salamander's dirty work. No, we realize it's Bennick that does his dirty work. And Bruce and Bennick are at odds, and it starts to push Bruce more towards the, oh, maybe Bruce is not as evil as we thought, because Bruce is also calling out Bennick's inadequacies, and we, the audience, are seeing those inadequacies. So stuff he's been directing at Jamie and the Doctor and Victoria, he's now directing at the quote-unquote villain supporting cast in the exact same way. And we also get that blatantly displayed on screen. He's threatening to kill a dying person and then draws down on, yes. on her. She's yes. already about to die. Like, all of that is just reinforced in your face. Um, right. I would say that Salamander is not a smart character, but a cunning character. Well, okay, fair. Because that that would also then reinforce why he has like Bennick, who is definitely a, a whack job, but Bennick can be controlled. So that's one of the reasons you would keep them. So it's it's I I know we're technically would be splitting hairs here, but I well, think that's I mean, a good no, distinction to make between Salamander's activities and how he operates compared to the doctor who we've seen is brilliant and being manipulative. So it's 
Right, right. I, I, I think what we're looking here is, is looking ahead briefly. We're looking at Kam a proto master, right? Uh, the master has always been kind of the evil, the Moriarty to the Doctor's Sherlock, if you will, the, the Dark Mirror. Um, and we're seeing a different take on that, which is that the Doctor is not someone who plans and manipulates people, but he also keeps information to himself. Both characters keep information secret. Both characters are, are brilliant from a scientific perspective. Um, and both characters want to change the world in what they believe to be a positive way. Um, they're going about very different tactics. Um, the doctor just quietly shows up, pushes things around, watches things explode and leaves. And Salamander's like, no, no, we have to have a plan. Um, what's what's interesting here is that I, I think you're right that Salamander is not a good planner from an objective standpoint. But from a Doctor Who standpoint, he is. Again, to go back to the master, he Salamander's elaborate plans, but they're elaborate plans that are largely feasible in the universe he lives in the master makes elaborate plans that make no goddamn sense and we recognize that's the joke of the master is the master way overcomplicates things um he is the kind of character that dr doom looks at his plans and goes have you overthought this maybe a bit much i mean it's it, it they don't make sense whereas salamander it's like okay i can see what you're trying to do here maybe you went one or two steps too far or maybe put your trust in the wrong people you're also kind of a bad people manager um so that's part of your problem here but it's like you could almost see a workable plan inside of of this, and, and so I think Salamander has has uh, is, is a good potential planner. And, and again, in the universe Doctor Who is reasonably good masterminds. Um, but you're right, you're correct in that. What's m more important happening here is that he is meant as a counterpoint to the, the Doctor's style of anti-planning. Frankly, but <laughs> right. anything else about this chunk? Nah, I'm good. All right. Um, part four. Uh, this is going to be brief just because there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, it's real. Salamander, uh, outside of all his plan, has a new plan where he has trapped a group of scientists below the research center and is using their knowledge to create national disasters in order to stabilize the world and increase his influence by telling them that a nuclear war has occurred on the surface and they have to live below ground. <laughs> This is the most Bondian thing I have ever seen. Ever. Right. Like, it's it's brilliant. It's beautiful. But it also goes back to my earlier point is I don't think Salamander is is an overly smart character. He's not creating the stuff. He has a group of people that he's cunningly tricked into being in a sub-basement that does shit for him. Because, mm. well, a spoiler, the radiation machine that he shows them is another trick, but easily seen through if you take a second to think about it. Wait, wait, wait. Are you saying, Chris, that there are people, there are billionaires in the world who present themselves as being technologically elite, but in fact are simply co-opting the material that other people have done and using it to accentuate their own image? Yes. How does that not relevant to 2023? <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's just like people that uh, run around and try to use IP law to smite other people with. Right, right, exactly. Um, uh, but no, also, I mean, again, like, there is a world where I feel like a draft of this was basically the village, you know? <laughs> because we're just like, 
70% there. It's you we're know, secret space. Um, all these people put down there, they're, they're giving a complete cover story. This guy that they barely know comes out of nowhere, drops information on them cryptically, and leaves again. Um, you could almost see number six running around in this space. It, it, it's, it's, it's almost there. Um, but also, it's just such a... It's Doctor Who doing what I love, which is that the 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 it's like first I was like episode one is like we're doing Doctor Who James Bond I was like what okay that's weird and it gives you a few episodes to get used to the idea and then it goes actually no secretly it's about nuclear war and I said like, what <laughs> and oh yeah and also there's these scientists under there and it's like what is this show doing um and it's like oh by the way they also make earthquake machines <laughs> it's just well, like... they they sold them to the people in star city so they could cause damage <laughs> and arrow i thought you knew that like it's 2018 eddie where do you think That's arrow true. got that earthquake oh my god from? oh my god that almost maps up that's hilarious <laughs> so we just move star city to australia somehow and we're there but oh, so in, in my head canon what happened is they found out about patrick McEwen's village and doctor who started adding it in and uh Patty came over and had a stern talking to them because we established in our prisoner run that supposedly he's a very tall and intimidating person. Right. And they changed it after he after he had a little talking with them. We're like, oh, we're sorry. We're sorry, sir. We won't do that. I genuinely believe that. I genuinely think some version of that happened. Um, because it's it's so the spy thriller that is secretly a psychological experiment thing is just too close to have been a complete coincidence. Something, uh, maybe they came from the same inspiration, but I, I more feel like someone said, oh, let's do Doctor Who Just the Prisoner, right? That's really what it feels like. Let's, let's take Secret Agent and the Prisoner, jam it into six episodes, and throw Doctor Who into it, and that's what we're doing here. And he had, he changed that. It is, it is brilliant. It is so fucking ridiculous at the same time. <laughs> Oh. Right. And um, so now we have a whole new cast of characters that we have to learn. Um, and they're nowhere near as deep as the previous ones, but also we have two episodes with them, and frankly, they don't need to be deep. Now we're back to, weirdly, a base under siege again. We have the incompetent military commander. We have the person who's subordinate to him who wants to try to get out of this situation. These are all archetypes that, if you've watched a lot of Troughton's run, you'd be probably much more familiar with. It just happens that it's jammed into a completely different unrelated script. And it's wonderful because it somehow works. Salamander, again, we talked before about like, Patrick uh, uh, has three accents, but we also find there's kind of a weird fourth accent in terms of Salamander as manipulative warlord is different from Salamander pretending to be guy surviving an a nuclear apocalypse. Um, so Salamander faking sincerity actually does sound different. There's actually a different spin on how Troughton's playing it, which sounds different than the doctor being genuinely sincere. Um, uh, so we have amazing scenes of Patrick Troughton pretending to be irradiated. And it's not the actor pretending to be irradiated. It's the actor pretending to play someone who's pretending to be irradiated. And that comes across, that nuance is somehow coming across in the body acting, right? And just like, ooh, this man is so good. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, that's, but other than that's that, really I mean, it, it, right? yeah, I mean, there's not much else to say except for it's just, it's so bonkers that it just keeps going. 
And you um, can tell the people have been down there for a while and they're disgruntled. Yeah. But that's, that's it. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, I did have a weird moment of cognitive dissonance uh, because we're watching this, I'm watching this for a while and I'm like, is this going to be an entire episode? And my headset, is this entire episode without Patrick Troughton? And what I was, what I was trying to say was episode of the doctor. And that's how much I, for a half second, I got lost in it. Because it's like, no, this it's the same actor. Patrick Trout has gotten way so much street time this whole serial. But the doctor is almost not present for one episode. And it's a weird, amazing moment. Just do you, do you know if he got paid twice as much for having twice as many lines? <laughs> oh, God, no. BBC, no. There was no way BBC would have paid him twice. Uh, all right. Uh, so back to the Just a plot. A, a total tangent note, though that that's one of the reasons that. So I was watching a an essay video about the Valley of the Dolls, and mm. one of the things they were highlighting was Patty Duke, who was in that who was in it, and after she had won like an Oscar, the agents that she had who were also her living family. It's a it's a horrible mm. like horrible story, but Ugh. the show that she went into was a Patty Duke show, and they didn't pay her enough because she played both of the main roles. So that was the mm. way they sort of underpaid her. So random bit of information. Interesting. I can totally see that though. That makes sense. See, we, we, we have all of this disuseless knowledge. And that's why I made this podcast just to, to bombard our listeners with this useless pop culture knowledge that Chris and I both share. Uh, okay. Uh, back to the a plot. Uh, Bruce and the doctor have Jamie and Victoria released from the center because now Bruce has realized that that salamander is in fact causing problems and that he needs to be involved uh the doctor sends them all back to tardis uh he then goes to the records room which is where the secret entrance to the underground's cave that's totally not the village is and there uh kent believing the doctor to be salamander accidentally reveals that they conspired together to trap the scientists below ground astrid arrives incriminating kent further as people from the bunker identify him Kent flees the cave system beyond the records room. There he encounters the real salamander who shoots him in the back. As he falls, Kent sets off a set of explosives that destroy the bunker and damage the research center. Uh, so, again, like we have this fantastic moment of Kent set up a fake salamander, sends him off to try to do his bidding. We find out that Kent is actually just trying to take control of this whole operation. He, he, he's not benevolent at all. He just wants to be the guy in charge now. And then gets screwed by his own fake salamander. <laughs> uh, because the actual salamander has accidentally fallen into the B plot and stuck there now. <laughs> I I want to take a moment though and talk about the most McCoy scene I've seen in our starting the Doctor Who bits. And mm -hmm. that is how the Doctor gets Donald Bruce to be on their side. Okay. By literally talking him into it and then giving him the gun and still talking to make him come around to them, to them completely. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's how it happens. That is all the doctor knowing, reading a person, and then sort of taking control of it by giving them control. Like, that is yeah. beautiful manipulation. And that is what you see the seventh doctor do with an assassin in the one with, like, the candy man with a sniper yep. up on, like, the rooftop. And he talks about like the power that a gun gives you. And he says, go ahead, do it. Take my life. And the guy just breaks. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. 
Yeah, pleasure ends my life. Oh God, I, I can hear that quote now in my head. It's so good. Mm -hmm. um, but you're right. Uh, um, uh, this uh, Trout just kind of hands Bruce back the gun and keeps talking like he's not afraid, and that's the big piece that helps Bruce Twitch come around. You're right. Um, but we also we're in this weird spot where um, the Doctor is pretending to be a salamander, and we recognize that he's bad at pretending to be salamander because we've seen enough of salamander to know how salamander acts. And for a while, it looks like he's getting away with it. And then we come to realize that the only person that actually believes that he's actually salamander is Kent, the guy who started all of this problem, right? Like the one guy who really should have seen through this doesn't. Um, but it really shows that Kent's, frankly never looked outside of himself and we saw that it's one thing that you look back and you see all kent's stuff before it makes perfect sense kent was so self-absorbed he was constantly ignoring astrid's uh, advice um he frequently just told doctor the same bullet points over and over again instead of giving actual information um was constantly convinced that he his plan was going to work even though in the face of you know people like bennick making it very clear this plan was not working and now he's so convinced that he had screwed over Salamander to not realize it's not actually Salamander at all. Um, it's, 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 it's a twist, but it's the perfect kind of twist where it, all the stuff that happened before makes perfect sense. And it's it's well executed structurally that I really appreciate. 100%. And to see Astrid find these people in the tunnels after Salamander had basically killed one of them, then to recruit them from there to go with her up here to confront Kent. Like that is a, a beautiful arc for a character to go through all that. Like I work for you to realize this is our mission to help the people to realize that you are in fact the cause of all these problems and bring evidence to stop it. Yeah. Because we have a great moment of due to Patrick Troughton, despite his best attempts, not being able to be everywhere at once. Um, she has to do the role of the doctor. She has to be the one to actually tell them, no, all of this is a lie. And it's 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 a great moment for Astrid because she, you know this this you know radiation detector thing is bullshit, you know. Um, and uh, there's a, uh, again little little moments of acting where like she runs into the, the leader who's escaped in the tunnels, and he's like, "What about the war?" And her just going, "What war?" And him just deflating as a result of that and realizing what he'd been debating all along, which I know Salomon has been lying to him the whole time. And she recognizes that he's about to break, and she, she changes her pace and her approach um, to try to convince him. Astrid is a fantastic character, and also the woman playing her is bringing layers to her so that the Astrid we see here is miles away from Astrid we saw in episode one, but it never felt like she's radically different. Right? Kent does. Kent has, has a hard shift, but that hard <laughs> shift is by the writing, we put things back into place um astrid has has genuinely gone through a character arc through all of this you're right and uh it's it's really cool to see her come around and again her arc is different from bruce's arc both our characters coming around to what's really going on but bruce is such more the detective i have put these pieces together and come to the correct conclusion astrid's much more of an emotional arc of realizing all these things that i've been doing are actually secretly hurting people i thought i was helping um, and it's 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 fantastic, and it's it's a weirdly emotional moment for this bonkers plotline to run headlong into and destabilize the whole story. 
and of course you have the scene between uh kent and salamander in the tunnels and you have salamander shooting him and then letting him try to run away a little bit so he can play a little cat and mouse game with him to shoot him and kill him and i would envision in what was this 67 or 68 mm-hmm. maybe 69 but um no earlier than that how brutal that would have been on television at that point in time yeah like that that death scene is not one for kids in the in the late 60s to watch on TV on their kids TV show like much of this plot i think isn't not necessarily yeah and i mean if you take that scene in isolation what you see is the doctor ruthlessly gunning someone down if you don't have the context for what's going on in that scene the doctor just gunned someone down and that's a huge shock and it's a it shows, I think, how much confidence the the, the production team thought that the, the in their audience to be able to say they they'll recognize that this is not actually the doctor doing this, um, and I think that it's well placed in this case because again, Troughton does a really good job of shaping his performance to make sure that even though the script is intentionally making it unclear who is what at what moment, visually it's always clear. And I could I could see why this is one of the stories that got a much better reception once the episodes were covered because just from the audio, it would have been really hard to keep all this stuff in track. But when you're watching it visually, it's very clear. You're never lost as to which character Troughton's playing at any moment. And this is a good example of that. I, you don't look at that and go, oh, that's obviously a Doctor Shoot now. No, you're never convinced of that, but it's still shocking to think that the actor playing the Doctor is doing this kind of horrible thing on screen. That's that's it for most of my thoughts on that on that piece. Okay. I think we've got one more beat to hit. Yeah, and, and then we get to if you thought this this story wasn't bonkers enough, oh buddy, <laughs> Salamander who's was shaking and bleeding makes its way into TARDIS by pretending to be the Doctor. The real Doctor arrives and expresses intention of turning Salamander to the authorities. Salamander attacks the Doctor, but he fights back with Jamie's help. In the panic. Salamander pulls the dematerialization switch while the TARDIS doors are still open and falls out into the time vortex. <laughs> Before that, earthquake machine, people dying, and you get again, um, Astrid concerned about saving those people, and they come up with a solution. Then we have all this. <laughs> right, right. Well, but, but And that's a, a, a fair point because um, it's a rare moment where uh, – we see the resolution, but the doctor has his own stuff he has to deal with. So Astrid has to fill the role of the doctor here of actually tying up the plot. Yes. Um, which is great. And then we have what is inevitable, right? Like at some point the doctor's going to confront Salamander. And for 60s television, we have a brief shot of Patrick Trout looking at himself. And I can only assume that is because it's probably horribly expensive or difficult to do. So you can do very much of this, which is why it's all kind of crammed into one chunk of one episode. <laughs> but we do have, unfortunately, a case of Jamie going back to being thick all of a sudden uh, because the doctor doesn't speak at all. And Jamie uh, – well, okay, let's take it back. Jamie's not being super thick. Um, he's just a little – He's a little reluctant to pick up on what's going on um, because the doctor is not saying anything. Jamie escorts him back in, and the do- doctor is coming. Oh, you want me to fly the TARDIS? Um, and Jamie's confused by that, but he's not suspicious. And that's why I, I hedged my bets there um, because I felt, given everything going on, the fact that 
there's literally a guy who looks like the doctor floating around and he knows this that the doctor acting out of character should have been a little more of a clue but jamie doesn't necessarily uh latch onto that and so it's like are you sure is it okay until eventually Solomon I, I gets forced out. to speak that even though Jamie and Victoria were in the TARDIS, they do know an earthquake volcano machine just went off and the and Salamander was acting hurt and, and confused by that. And they've seen the doctor be hurt and confused and strip off all his clothes and jump in the water at this point. So um, it is possible that was a doctor that it survived that incident. Unlikely, but possible. If anything, yeah. Victoria, because they've established she has a lot of concern for the doctor, should have been trying to tend to the doctor in some form or fashion. That I also agree with. I mean, um, Victoria's just kind of not in the scene, really. I mean, she's there, but Jamie does all the holding, which is fine. I love seeing more Jamie, don't get me wrong, but I agree with you that there could have been more of a Victoria going, no, it's obviously a doctor, and Jamie going, I'm not sure it is. That would have been, I think, a more interesting way of structuring that scene um, and much more organic. Um, but instead, we have Jamie kind of doing both, playing both parts of that, um, and, and it comes across as a little, a little weird. But again, it's extremely minor nitpick, frankly. Um, it, we we have a moment of, of now Salamander trying to be the Doctor, um, and again, how he's interacting with the TARDIS and uh, interacting with the console is different than how Troughton normally plays the Doctor. So we, the physical acting. Oh yeah, no, it's obviously Salamander. It's obviously someone who's never seen the stuff before trying to play it cool, not oh, this is the doctor who's perfectly comfortable in his environment. And we get the the fist fight between Salamander and the Doctor. We get the Jamie punch. a little bit. <laughs> uh the punch of the camera tilt. Um uh, and Jamie falling onto the console. Which honestly I kinda liked. Like, I, I, you know, um, we don't often see the TARDIS dynamics play with that way. And so they, it, 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 it's it's nonsense. It's it's BBC budget action. But at least I'm, I'm glad they made the attempt of, like, trying to do an action sequence inside the console room. Um, it, it's something you don't see as much as, as – maybe, maybe it happens more often than I'm thinking of. It didn't seem like it was very common at the time. Though I do love the resolution with Salamander falling into the time vortex. It, it's almost as if the writers wanted to be able to bring that character back sometime in the future if they wanted to. Yeah. Cause yeah. They have, uh, Cause he's not technically not dead. Nope. Um, and then, and uh, I mentioned last, right. I mentioned last episode that the, the serialization of the show largest appeared around Tomb of Serpent. I was wrong. Um, uh, it happens. The, the actual resolution of this happens in the first five minutes of the next episode. Uh, which I went ahead and watched uh, real quick. Uh, you don't really miss much. Um, basically, it's just Doctor sets everything right and goes, uh, oh, yeah, Salamander's in Time Vortex. That sucks. So anyway, now we're in this new place. Uh, that's basically <laughs> what happens there. Um, uh, but uh, what I understand is that the reason is not because of the Hartnell era of each story needs to bleed to another. Rather, the script just ran long. Um, they spent uh, so much time trying to wrap everything up uh, that the options were either to um, cut the scene with Astrid stopping the Earthquake machine or move this scene to the next episode. So uh, certainly you are glad that they chose the former route mm-hmm. or latter route, I should say. Um, but it's 
this is we talked before about problematic phase, and this is very much in that spot for me because there's a lot that's genuine. Like this is just decent television, right? Like moving from the this is interestingly culturally and the history of Doctor Who, like the Daleks was. Um, this is much like Tomb of Cybermen. It's like you have to squip past some really, really shitty parts uh, from from a, a, a perspective of how people are presented. Um, but underneath that, there's actually a really tight, tense psychological script here. Um, it, it, it's it's decent television, um, and it, it's it's not a chore to watch. Uh, it's just that you kind of kind of have to blank out part of your brain whenever that Matt, that Patrick Troughton's accent comes out. And it's like, okay, it's just gonna. <sighs> Look past this. Oh, he's still talking. You know, I mean, it 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 sucks in that front. Um, but we're also seeing a huge cast of characters. Um, there's there's easily a dozen characters here. They all have a variety of things to do as long as you're not Victoria. Um, and uh, there's lots of twists and turns. It's six episodes that feels a hell of a lot shorter than the seven episodes that the Daleks did. Yeah. The Daleks felt like fourteen episodes. Um, yeah. No, you're you're right. This show is wa- engagingly watchable, minus mm-hmm. the isms that we've already discussed in detail. Right. And this is an episode of the show that is the pinnacle of what journalists is really about. How it is a sci-fi show that does a political spy thriller with bits of camp associated with it. And Doctor Who in itself is kind of a perfect show for us to go into because it has multiple elements of different genres always interwoven throughout every single story it tells to show that genre is just a convention that is really pointless yeah i mean frankly to miss arman is functionally a mummy story right yeah and it is like sci-fi it's horror and it's all those things for two of the together and like an archaeology bit archaeology story too so it's ah I, I love Doctor Who and I hate Doctor Who all at once. <laughs> I'm like Crichton right now with my emotions. Yeah, yeah. It's are you, are you gonna ex, your head gonna explode as a result? <laughs> uh, very few people would have been able to keep up with that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, um, I see your Red Dwarf reference. <laughs> my, I won't, do you have any other thoughts about the Second Doctor that you'd like to discuss? Because we're going to be moving on to Pertwee next and we may come back and do more second doctors so i'm not sure if you want to give like a full breakdown of your thoughts since we're not doing the regeneration scene or anything for more games um let's assume let's assume i mean if, if we come back and do more trout and I, I won't say no but let's just assume this is the end of it um i've said it before i think it's worth reiterating that while i respect hartnell as starting it all off Troughton deserves more respect for being the template by which most every other doctor comes from. Um, he is a fantastic actor. I'm super glad he got his blue plaque. Um, uh, he is a doctor that the more I know about him and the more I watch his stuff, the more I realize I like him a lot. Uh, and it's the only bit of 60s Doctor Who that I will gladly go back and rewatch. I'll pick different stories than I think ones we picked. I mean, I, I picked ones we did. Um, but, like, you know, uh, there's a lot of it that I would just be, oh, this one's on. I'll go ahead and watch it because it's just, again, good television. We're, we're moving to the era where Doctor Who is just finally finding its formula, finding its feet. And, and, again, a lot of it starts here. 
Um, but also, it's one of the few doctors where the pop culture consensus of him isn't really accurate to the character on screen. Um, it's the, he's this silly guy that makes jokes and plays a flute. And it's like, those things happen, but a much, <laughs> much smaller percentage on the actual screen time than we believe it to be. Right. Um, you and I have both, I, I, although I didn't realize that when we started this run, um, you were the first person to say there's a lot of uh, McCoy's betrayal in the second doctor. I didn't see it at the time, but now I've done through it. I com I'm completely co converted to that. Um, we do see a lot more of the doctor who sees the, the epic scope of things in a very clever way. And also, frankly, the more I watch doctor, the more and more Jamie is, is in my top five companions, frankly, because I, uh, Jamie McCrimmon is just, just fantastic. And it is a crime. We don't have more male companions. And I think part of the reason why we don't is because Jamie kind of broke the mold. <laughs> You're going to make Ian cry. Um, I know, but Jamie's better than Ian. Sorry. <laughs> so now having said that, let's, let's recap our, our companions. Who are your companions again? Victoria. Um, I, Barbara Victoria, actually, right now. I, I, I currently have an all-female cast. And I, I've got Jamie and Susan. And the companion choices this time will remain shockingly the same from the two episodes that right. we picked of Doctor Who. Right. And you said I can't just take Jamie now. I can't take nope. by Jamie. Um, can I take but, Astrid? <laughs> no, because she's not a companion. Uh, uh, but next time, when we get there, you'll get to pick probably a companion because we'll be at a new doctor with new people. My, my closing quote, uh, there are some corners of the universe which have bred the most terrible things, things which act against everything we believe in. They must be fought. Indeed. And that is true. Eddie, if people are looking to get some of your sweet, sweet swag, where can they go? Uh, best place to find me, uh, these days is via my website, uh, that is pugsteady.com, P-U-G-S-T-E-A-D-Y. Um, but if you want to talk to me, I'm on Mastodon, I'm on, uh, Blue Sky, but really, Dark of the Hue Discord is, uh, the best place to find me where, um, I recently just shared, uh, that there is a tie-in comic that relates to the episode we're going to watch next week that's being mm -hmm. made. So that's exciting. How about you? Uh, as I have not, purposely not mentioned the episode title yet, because I'm having some fun. I was waiting for Eddie to correct me. Um, no, I was, I was, me, I, I, I'm rolling with it now. <laughs> <laughs> if if you're looking for me, you can find me in the Dark Hue Discord. I'm posting memes all the time, and I'm still suggesting new show ideas for Eddie. For instance, we talked about doing another speechless site. Yeah, that Eddie was questioning. He was like, hmm. I don't know if that exists, but I mean, it may be. I've done some initial research. I'll have to keep looking. I think I've got a copy of it floating around my house. It does you no good where you are, but it makes it yeah, easier just, on me. Just ship it to me. It's fine. <laughs> so next time we come back for more Doctor Who, we're going to be doing per the per Pertwee era. We'll talk a little bit about John, John Pertwee, and the episode itself is going to be Inferno. I think all 27 episodes of the Inferno run, we will watch, oh we will discuss. It's if you're curious, it, it is a little bit of a long one, but I think it is well worth it. It is seven episodes that is pure undistilled Pertwee. 
And the however I break down the synopsis of it, I don't know yet. I'll figure it out. It may be episodes. It may be one big chunk. It may be one line per episode just to keep it varied. Who knows with me? Uh, and and, we'll, and uh, if you don't already know the story, I'll also get a chance to tell the story. Nicholas Courtney story about uh, how he broke up on the set of Inferno. Ooh, I don't actually know that story. Hmm. Okay, and then we'll say that one. Uh, but yeah, we will see you all next week as we watch seven episodes of Inferno. Be seeing you.